0: Yeah? Yeah, it was fun. It was fun, wasn't it? So uh, we also had a great weekend here uh, beyond what happened yesterday as well. There's a picture up here. We had this place full of people. This was a worship team from the Vineyard in Springfield that was leading worship for the uh, Breaking and Breaking Out conference. This place was full. There was a lot of great ministry going on. So even if you weren't able to attend and be a part of that, thank you for uh, making it possible for us to be able to host stuff like this. We sure appreciate it a lot. So we're continuing the series, The Other Side of the Fence. And uh, it's adapted from a series uh, that we uh, saw by Andy Stanley. The goal of this series is simple. It's if you've distanced yourself or you've lost your passion for your faith, and if, or, or, or even if you've left church altogether or your Christian faith behind, we want everyone who left under those or distanced themselves under those circumstances to come back. We want you to find the faith. We want you to find the freedom and the life-orienting passion that I know you wanted And I know that Jesus can bring and make possible in your faith. I've interacted with a number of people who would describe themselves as as nuns who have left their faith altogether, and I know that many of them still wonder if there isn't more to the faith, that they they really can find something that would be more meaningful to them to help them through difficult times. And, And I can't tell you how many times I hear this from people who have left their faith. I hear some people, especially when they start having kids, say, am I robbing my kids of something they really need by being more regular or by going to church at all? So if that's you... And you've joined us here today, in person today, or if you're listening to us on Facebook Live or on the podcast, thank you for accepting the invitation and joining us today. Whatever your objection was that led you to distancing yourself, as we pointed out in the first message, was likely something that was very legitimate, but it was also and something you needed to reject. In fact, it was pro- probably a version of Christianity that all of us need to reject because it's not real. And the question we're trying to wrestle with is, what if the real thing, what if following Jesus is still all that you hoped it could be, maybe even more, but it's just different than what you experienced uh, maybe some of you rejected, the, uh, rejected Christianity because of the Bible. We talked about that last week because of the overly simple Bible tells me so answers that kind of left too many holes in regard to the complexities of life that were irreconcilable for you in terms of the pain or, or just how you see life. And, and you left faith because the Bible couldn't adequately add up to the answers that you needed. As we talked about last week... What if the Christianity is far more real, far more vibrant, far more enduring and viable, even when you can't get your questions answered than that? After all, we talked about last week, Christianity doesn't exist because of the Bible. It's the other way around. The the Bible exists because of Christianity, because of who Jesus is. and, And this kind of a faith as a Christian is far more enduring than whether everything adds up for you and makes sense in the Bible. If you rejected faith because of the Bible, that's like saying the Bible created the resurrection or the Bible created and birthed Jesus. And if the Bible doesn't add up, then Jesus never existed. It's like saying you exist because of your birth certificate. Don't let that be a barrier to you in your vibrant faith and finding that kind of vibrant real faith in Jesus. So the last two weeks have been primarily about barriers. That have caused many of us to fall away or, or distance ourselves from faith or lose our passion or the, or the sense of freedom that we want to have in, the, in life. And, and they're barriers that don't need to be there on the whole, but all too often they've been there. So those two messages that we've preached so far, I realize could be a little bit like um, my experience that I often feel when I call tech support. Uh, when I call tech support... Why is it that the person never trusts me that when I say I did this, 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 and this that they always make me do this, 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 and this again? before they actually get to the point. I mean, I understand that that's really an emotive question because usually when you call tech support, you're not thinking sanely. You're at that point where you just want to throw that laptop or whatever it is across the room and stomp on and get a sledgehammer. I mean, it's that kind of emotive question. And I realize it's not sane as one person who works in a a telephone support uh, place. He said to me recently, they said, we often can't trust that people have actually done what they said they did, because Ross, they said to me, you haven't been on those hundreds of calls where I've had to explain to someone what a browser is, or what an address bar is. But I'm generally tech savvy, so usually when I call those places and I say I've done this, I've really done it, so just tell me something new. Tell me what to do that will really solve it. The last two messages have been a little like that. We've said, here's what doesn't work. And many of you already know it didn't work. That's the reason you distance yourself or maybe even left your faith. So you could be easily thinking, well, just tell me what does work. Point me in the direction of something new, something fresh, something that can solve the issue. Since you told me who the Christian God isn't, who is the real Christian God? Last week we talked about Now, the Bible points to Jesus, and Jesus actually says that the Bible, everything in the Bible, is ultimately really about him. I was reading a, a book this last week where the author is a Christian, and he was trying to encourage his Jewish college friend to consider Jesus. And it wasn't going anywhere because his friend kept saying to him, you know, I'm Jewish, I'm not really particularly religious, but you do understand that Jews don't particularly like Jesus, don't you? And that was kind of usually the end of the conversation. So one day, the author decided, well, he he decided to write Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Jesus on a sheet of paper without referencing where it was from. And he hands this sheet of paper to his Jewish friend and says, now, read this and tell me who it's referring to. He reads it and he says, well, certainly it's referring to Jesus. And he, he tells his friend, he says, well, do you realize that's Isaiah 53? And this Jewish friend had always been taught that the Jewish scriptures are different than Christian scriptures. So he went home and he read his own Jewish scriptures and realized Isaiah is the same in both the Jewish Bible and the Christian Bible. And he went, how could I have missed this? So the next day he went to his rabbi and he said to his rabbi, who is Isaiah 53 talking about? And his rabbi looked at him and said, well, it sounds an awful lot like Jesus, but we don't believe in Jesus, so we won't say that. And the Jewish friend thought, well, that's kind of an odd statement. And uh, not long after that, he became a follower of Jesus. All scripture points to Jesus. But let's go one step further. Let's look at Jesus' own words to describe who God is. In John 14, let's start there. The context of John 14 is Jesus has just completed the Passover meal where he ate his last meal with his disciples. And all the while, he's been talking through this meal about his impending death. I mean, this is just a really wonderful celebration festival conversation, isn't it? Happy we get to celebrate all this food, an amazing spiritual moment, and I'm going to die. That's what we're talking about. It's just, you know, Jesus is minutes away from being arrested and beaten and then crucified to death within the next 18 hours. And in the midst of all that, Jesus encourages them. His disciples, to keep their faith, to trust him, to follow where he is going, he says. And in verse 5, Thomas, we refer to him as Doubting Thomas. He's the realist, the one who is kind of the show-me disciple, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And isn't that a question we often ask? How can we know how to follow you, Jesus? It's kind of like almost, we almost ask it a lot of times, it's almost our agnostic kind of question. Of Jesus, Uh, We say, God, I believe you are real, but how in the world can I know how to follow you? How, How can I know confidently who you are? How can I know what the next steps in my life should be and what you're leading me to do? And Jesus answered Thomas and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, Thomas is asking, what are the next steps? And Jesus is answering a bigger picture question. How do you know God so that you can follow him as a person, not just the next steps? And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, you've seen God himself. What he's saying is Jesus is the perfect reflection of God. Knowing God starts and is centered in Jesus. I realize that sounds presumptuous. That sounds kind of crazy. And actually, even the disciples in that moment were thinking about it. Look Look what comes next. Philip now answers Jesus. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So Jesus kind of answered that, didn't he? So what's Philip saying? Philip is essentially saying, Jesus, why don't you try that answer again? Because surely you didn't say that the way you really intended to. That's what's going on here. And Jesus answers him and says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. See, Jesus doubles down and saying, You want to know God the Father, the big kahuna? Well, you do. Look at me, he's saying. You want to know what God says? Listen to me, Jesus says. The words I speak are God's words. You want to know what God does? Watch me. The things I'm doing are the things that God does. Now, understand something. If you want to believe in God and follow him, it's it's not just beliefism. It's not just blind faith or a leap of faith. Jesus is saying to us, listen and watch Your faith is built on something tangible that you can see and hear and experience. In fact, Jesus goes one step further in the very next verse. He says this, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. Jesus doesn't ask us for blind faith. What does he say? He says, believe me when I say, or at least believe on me and say it with me, on the evidence of the works See, if you were to get rid of all your old pictures of God, get rid of all your pictures of God as this gray-headed wise guy or, or the, the immaculately manicured Jesus-looking paintings that you grew up with or get rid of all your conceptions of God like we talked about in the first message, the boyfriend, girlfriend, God, the bodyguard, God, the on-demand God, God all those things, the ideas that caused you to distance yourself from your faith, the views that you needed to reject, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, if you just start looking at what Jesus said and did, the evidence from Jesus himself to understand and know God, then where would that take you? Where do we begin? Well, we're we going to begin with Jesus' own words describing who he is, who God is. In John 4, we see Jesus by himself talking with a Samaritan woman at a well where he's resting. And... They get into a little mini debate about God and faith and life because Samaritans and Jews have strong disagreements over how God how to follow God with the Jews and all that kind of stuff. And imagine imagine that moment. It's kind of actually funny. imagine that moment, this woman arguing with Jesus about God. It's kind of like you know, Bruce Wayne arguing arguing with Bruce Wayne about who Batman is, right? So Jesus quickly turns this from an argument into a really friendly conversation showing absolutely astounding kindness and compassion to this woman. It's one of the most, I think, inspiring stories in all of the Bible. Jesus shows to what great extent he will go to reach out to people who are different than he is, even rebellious, sinful, broken, anti-God people. And we see in this interaction with Jesus the spiritual gift of the word of knowledge happening and how Jesus details knows details about this woman's life that he could only have known because of God revealing it to him, the spirit revealing it to him. As a result, she is so powerfully touched because of how well God knows her and God's love for her that she becomes eager to know God and she goes into the town and tells everyone they need to come talk to Jesus because God became so real to her in that moment. In the conversation, we also see Jesus wading this woman through some of her false conceptions of religion, and he concludes with this. He says, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit. And in truth. Jesus says where we start knowing God is in this idea that God is spirit. I know that's kind of obvious, so hang with me, because there's a couple really important things that that highlights for us uh, that we're going to talk about today. The first one, I can't say enough about it. In the American church, uh, we as a whole have emphasized Jesus and morality, a lot of self-help kind of approaches to Christian faith. And we have not always emphasized adequately the connecting with God through his Spirit, knowing how God's Spirit wants to personally interact with each of us and speak to us and lead us and work powerfully through us. In our analytical minds, we tend to want faith to be completely rational and controllable. So we, like all of humanity throughout the Bible, try to make God and faith into what we can control. We tend to make it into actions, morality, right thoughts, right behaviors, service, doing good things. And all of those things are part of what we will become when we follow Jesus, but it all begins, it's all centered, and it all ends in knowing God. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Now, second, and it's going to sound disconnected, but it's a really important point. This statement is exactly what we as modern people Would expect. We believe, as scientists say, that there was a singularity event at some point in the past when all time, all space, all matter started. Christianity has always believed, and scripture teaches, that God is spirit, an uncreated creator, the first cause. And we know that He is immaterial because everything material was once created by Him. God is timeless, no beginning and end. God is spaceless. He is everywhere. God is supranatural, not super, although He is that as well. It's supra above and beyond the laws of nature, within the fact that God is spirit. Let me just tie a, a, put, a, put a pin there for just a second because we're going to come back to that and make something really explicit. What this is saying is that God preexisted everything. Now, we're going to come back to that thought because that is a powerful truth. that has ramifications that directly impact and eliminate some of the reasons that make us distance ourselves from God and make some people jump the fence and leave their faith altogether. Again, we'll come back to that. For now, Jesus simplifies it and just says, God is spirit. Exactly what we would expect. But the problem with God is spirit is that God is spirit. Right? That's kind of intangible. It's kind of hard to grasp. How how do you have a relationship with someone you can't see? I mean, how do you know who that God is when you can't see or hear like we normally see and hear? That seems kind of far off, kind of distant, kind of hard to experience and hard to grasp. Well, Jesus says something more in that passage that tells us who God is as well. He says, God is... Father. Now, Jesus is not the Father like our earthly fathers. For some of us, our earthly fathers have been really positive glimpses of who God is to us. But for some of us, our earthly fathers have left us with a lot of baggage that makes it really hard for us to think about God as Father. But God is the perfect Father. So even if you were Hurt and your life has been made so much harder by the devastation of your earthly father, or you, or the lack of an earthly father. When you flip all that devastation and you think of what I really long for, what I really wanted, what I really needed, the idea that you wish you would have had, well, God is that father and even better. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus is praying one day and his disciples are watching him pray and thinking, wow, that, that's really different. I've never seen anyone pray like that. In fact, I'm not even sure I know how to pray after seeing that. So they go to Jesus and they ask him to teach them how to pray. And Jesus turns to them and says in Luke 11:2, he says, when you pray, say. Now, it's always interesting to me when, when people talk to me about discomfort in praying, whether in private or public, it usually comes down to this issue of I don't know the right words to say. I, I, I won't be eloquent enough in my words to say anything. So, I, don't, I, I mean, intentionally or unintentionally, the church has left people thinking that we have to say just the right things. And some of that comes from maybe, I mean, I love written prayers Uh, because they're rich in thought and meaning and they they help me think about God and connect with God in different ways, whether it's through the Psalms or whether it's the Book of Common Prayer or whether it's other prayers that people have written. But the problem with those kinds of prayers is we often feel like we can't pray like that. I mean, David was an extraordinarily gifted poet and I couldn't write poetry if my life depended on it. So what in the world am I going to say in prayer, right? How can I pray? Jesus says, when you pray, say. And he's going to make prayer really simple for us. We're going to just cover the first word of how he makes it simple. He says, when you pray, say, Father. That's the starting place for knowing God and relating to God. And here's what's so awesome about that. God's not male. Both men and women are created in the image of God. Together we represent the image of God better than individually. God isn't gender. God is spirit. But God is not far off either. God is personal. God is Father. Jesus says the best I can do to help you material, material creatures relate to immaterial spirit is to understand God as father. It's the best picture, Jesus says. If you have a perfectly loving father, the ideally compassionate, always there for you, having your back, being your biggest fan kind of follower, you don't worry about what you say when you go to him, do you? You just run to him and you talk to him. You share your big thoughts. You share your little thoughts. You share your big joys and you share your ordinary moments. You share your big questions and smart questions. You share your stupid questions with him. You share your st- sadness, your pain, your fears, your hopes, your successes, and your failures. You share your life, the ordinary and the special. You just get to be you. And if things don't come out right, it doesn't matter because he's your dad and he loves you. And he's going to be patient with you and help you express yourself and love you through the process. You see... If you're beginning your journey with God or if you realize that your Christian faith has been primarily morality and religious do's and don'ts and you don't really know God that way as that kind of a follower, then I want to encourage you this afternoon when you go for a walk or when you're sitting at home or maybe tonight when you're in bed, just, just breathe a prayer to God and just say, Father, you don't have to say anything else. Just allow yourself to begin to experience God as Father and Him wanting to be close to you in that moment. And here's the most, here's the most mind-blowing thing I think that we're going to talk about today. Uh, the next point, John, the disciple of Jesus, after having spent time with Jesus for three years only to see Jesus die. And, and remember the experience they have in that moment. I mean, when Jesus dies, there are no followers of Jesus anymore. Their their hopes and dreams, they've all been dashed in utter disillusionment. All they have believed and hoped for is dead in that tomb. But then Jesus rises, and they all become his followers again, only to see injustice and... Persecution and blood, and John more horrible stuff than any of us have ever seen in our lives. Even his own brother James being martyred. One of the James who was the three closest to Jesus was his brother. After all that heartache and difficulty, in writing one of his final letters to the churches before the end of his life, John writes in 1 John four sixteen, "God is love." And then the text goes on and says, "Whoever lives in love lives in God." And God in them. Because God's love is the very nature of God. It is the most distinguishing characteristic of God. So if you want to be his follower, if you want to know him and be like him, his nature of love will be the most distinguishing mark of who he is and who you are. Andy Stanley talks about it this way. He says there shouldn't be any surprise. We as modern people are smart. And then he goes on to say this. He says, we know that shade requires sun. What? Let me explain. I'll explain it the way he explains it. Shade requires sun. You can have sun without shade, but you cannot have shade without the sun. And just as shade requires the sun, so evil and darkness requires good and love to exist. The existence of evil and suffering has been the cause for many people jumping the fence and moving away from God, distancing themselves, even rejecting God and moving away because of the pain and suffering, and that makes complete emotional sense, doesn't it, to us? Because when you see and experience bad things happening, you don't have to deal with the disappointment or even the anger that comes of wrestling over the question of why an all-powerful, all-knowing God allows evil and suffering. It makes complete emotional sense to reject faith in God because of that. But it does not make rational sense of reality. See, John, who'd experienced more heartache and bloodshed than any of us will ever see or experience, in spite of all that, John comes to the end of his life and comes to the conclusion that God is love. And it shouldn't be surprising to us that God is love. Because in order for you to even recognize evil, love had to preexist it. If good didn't exist, then how would you know what evil was? The God who pre-existed all that exists, that God's nature, the essence of that God is love. Therefore, whenever we seek the shade, we actually declare the existence and the power of the sun, don't we? Every time we acknowledge the existence of shade and we seek good and justice, we are declaring the glory and the existence of God. When you say, I don't know about all that religious stuff, and you just say, we should just people who love all, be people who love each other. What you are de- declaring is a distinctly Christian teaching that started with John after spending years with Jesus. Before Jesus, people didn't generally say the essence of God was love. You don't find the essence of God being love in the Roman gods, the Greek gods, the the Egyptian gods, or the Middle Eastern gods. They were manipulative, conniving, and selfish, and, and difficult gods to deal with. You don't find the essence of God being love in Islam. In fact, you don't even find in Jewish scriptures the essence of God being identified clearly as love. They say holy. They say awesome. They say powerful, they say just, to be feared, and sometimes they describe God as doing loving acts, but when they describe the very essence of God, what they focus on is not usually love, even in the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament. John says, I was with Jesus. I watched him and experienced him personally, heard what he said, and in spite of all the heartache and evil I've experienced in life, I am firmly convinced God is love. In spite of all the terrible stuff, God is love. That begs the question, why is there evil in the world? You have to come back next week for that. (laughs) This week I want to focus on maybe what I think might be a better starting question. Why do we all recognize evil in the world, or to even get it more personal, why do you recognize that you are broken and the world is broken? Why do you recognize that you don't do what you ought to do? Forget about what I or others think you ought to do. Forget about what you think God thinks you ought to do. You don't even do what you know you ought to do. I mean, isn't that just gut level honesty about real life? Why is it that I feel comfortable in the shade? It's because there's sun. Why is it that when I've participated in darkness and doing something wrong, I feel more comfortable in the shade? Because I don't want light to expose what I did. Why is it that I feel guilty about anything? It's because there is a son, Jesus, who is love, and I know I didn't measure up to that love. Why do I take comfort in my friends who are doing wrong things and I don't like church people because they make me feel guilty? It's because there is a son, Jesus, who is a perfect reflection of God is love. And light, God invites us to love. And by nature, that light confronts darkness. Our brokenness, our sin, the evil, the falling short, the failing, the hurting of others that we do, the terrorism, suffering, whatever you want to call it, declares the existence of God in the world, even though you have perhaps decided God doesn't exist because of that. My son Jared was uh, revising a paper he wrote last week for a college scholarship competition he's uh, going for right now, and I asked his permission to reference him, which he gave on the condition I show his baby picture that we submitted for his high school senior picture, so here it is. I figured it's cheaper than me paying him for the, for the use of the illustration, so, so. so here's what that cute little brainiac was wrestling with in his paper. He was writing about whether the problem of evil nullifies God as love or God as good, or even whether, as some atheists argue, that evil argues for the non-existence of God. One of his profound points drew on some of C.S. Lewis's thoughts on this and, and where even our excuses that we make point to the preexistence of God who is love and therefore help us also define a, an objective moral standard of goodness and love by who God is. So, for example, one of the favorite excuses we like to use when we fail is nobody's perfect, right? Never use that, right? Come on, come on, some of you use that. Well, how do you know what's perfect? Where'd you get the idea from? John would say, I know exactly where you got it from. You got it because God preexisted everything, and love preexisted everything because God is Love. How can you live in a world where terror and racism and bloodshed and all sorts of injustice and judgment and, and, and still come to that conclusion that God is love? come back next week we 'll talk more about that today. I want to invite you to reconsider your faith if you 've moved away, you are less passionate than you used to be about God or even uh, and, and you 're still in church or, or even if you 've left church altogether for some reason you uh, have been here either listening online or you came to join us today or you listened to the podcast. Uh, The reason you left is because, and the reason you left is because you struggled with how God can be a loving God and evil and suffering still exist. And that's what caused you to move away from your faith. I want to invite you to consider maybe, maybe you moved away unnecessarily, actually for the wrong reason. And maybe the church reinforced that for you earlier in your life by not being able to answer your questions or by teaching wrong things. And if that's the case, I'm so sorry that was your church experience. But don't allow that to be an excuse. Don't use me, don't use your past church experience, don't use your friends that disappointed you. Don't use your evil or hurt the evil or hurt or offense or as an excuse to miss the God who says, I am spirit but I'm not far away from you because I'm also Father who asks us to see Him as the perfect Father and respond to God as though He's the perfect Father in all the familial closeness and intimacy and comfort and ease that that entails. And recognize that God says, I am sunshine. I, I am the light of the world. I am love. I am not the shadows that you experience. See, Jesus is the place to start faith. Jesus is the most reliable source for discovering who God is. So I'm going to give you some homework this week. Three simple things you can do that I think can be really powerful for you this week if you'll do them. First is I want you to go home today and I want you to read Isaiah 53. And I want you to just sit there and think about this thing being written 700 years before Jesus, and so powerfully describing who he is and what that means for you and who God is to you. And then I want you to, this week as you pray, if this is not already your habit, I want you to begin each time of praying by just, just saying, Father. Even if you don't say anything else, just say, Father. And let that sit there. Now let yourself soak in that for a minute. Third thing, I want you to find a Bible. Our Quest app has a really good fast-loading version of it. You can find other online versions. You can grab your paper Bible. And I want you to begin the, uh, reading the eyewitness account of Jesus' life in the Gospel of John. And I want you to simply ask yourself one question, just one question about everything you read. And here's the question. Who is God the Father to me? based upon what I'm hearing and seeing in Jesus. Forget about all that you learned growing up, what other people taught you, good or bad. Now you as an adult, read it for yourself and simply answer this one question. Who is God the Father to me based upon what I am seeing and hearing in Jesus? And I have an agenda for you doing this, and here's that simple agenda. I want all of us to come back to our faith in Jesus to grow in passion for our faith in Jesus to reconsider our faith in Jesus I want you to reforge your faith if you are a person who's never matured in your faith or I want you to reforge a passion for him if you've lost your passion I want you to find the love I want you to find the strength you always longed for from faith in Jesus because there's a lot at stake and I think you're smart and perhaps there's nothing there's something that you didn't know something that you the church never told you that you're going to discover by doing this and asking these questions that will allow you to experience and know God in a way that you always longed to know him because of what you discover by doing this make it personal this week would you stand with me as we pray God, thank you for sending Jesus as the perfect representation of who you are as, as yourself coming to us. Lord, we want to see you for who you really are. In the heart of all of us, I think we want, to, we want to get rid of all the baggage we've had from the past because there's still something in us that longs for a real relationship with you, the freedom and the peace and the joy you want to bring us. Lord, there's still some of us who are wondering as parents, do we need to be with our kids in church more? There's some of us who have walked away because of pain or we've put up walls with you because of pain and the questions that we're left with in that. And Lord, would you nudge us all in the right direction? Would you teach us the way we should go? Would you help us be curious and fearless in our pursuit of you and becoming like who you created us to be. Not broken, but you created us to be more whole every day, healthier every day, more alive every day. So Spirit, would you just come and teach us who you are, help us experience you as we do these simple things, become more real to us, in Jesus' name. Would you continue to encounter the Spirit through worship? first service, I was, I don't usually plan my clothes I was praying about what I wanted to do, and I felt like he felt like he spoke really clearly. What I long for, what I pray for the most, for you, for me, for every single one of you, is that you would know I think many of us have grown up in traditions where we've got baggage with that. Maybe our baggage is as simple as I don't understand that. It makes no sense to me. I don't understand how that could be possible. And you go, so I'm just going to stick to what I didn't know and I'm comfortable with the the morality of the good person and the good serving and the good giving and all that kind of stuff of a faith. But Jesus says, God is spirit. We worship him in spirit and truth. That same thing I talked about that he did with that woman at the well, he wants to be able to do that through your life with your friends and neighbors and strangers and people you know in your life. He wants you to know how to hear him, how to know his presence. So, would you just let go of the old baggage, let go of the fears, and just start there. This week, and would you allow Jesus to come to you and show you that He is love? That He is a good Father who wants to be close to you and personal to you. We've talked a lot about you know wanting to encounter the Spirit more in the last last year. I'll tell you, some people some people have left the church because we've talked about it because they're more comfortable with just a morality approach to faith. But I think that's what God wants for every single one of us. He doesn't want it just for me. Maybe some of your baggage with the spirit stuff is is you've seen it all stage-led, and it just seems too distant and too far. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why God's not releasing that gift more on the stage with us right now, because he doesn't want it to be that. He wants every single one. All of you to know Him that way. To experience it that way. So I want to encourage you take the homework seriously this week. Go home and read. And encounter God in those moments. Expect the Spirit of God to meet you in those moments. When you're reading Isaiah 53, when you're reading John, when you're asking the question, show me who you are by by letting me see who you are, Jesus. As you read that question and as you pray, Father, maybe you can't pray anything more than that. But let it come to you in that way. Because that's, Go, and God becomes real, and God's love through you becomes real to them. He wants to transform our community because we, as a church, get what we're talking about today. So I just commission you, I bless you. That's what God wants to do in every single one of you. So let's go. Let's let's just be those people who pursue that with everything we are, and not worry about the baggage. Let God just lead us through. And show us let's continue to grow in generosity but even more than that let's encounter God as love because generosity will just be natural for us when we know how absolutely amazing God's love is and I can hardly wait until every one of us can walk through every day of every week and just be excited because God's love and he's going to show his love to somebody through me today and I can hardly wait for that moment to happen when we know Him that way, we're going to reach thousands of people in our community. And it's going to be you, every single one of you, in God in that way. Prayer people, come on forward. We're going to discuss it. If you want prayer, come on up for anything you want. If you're here today and you say, I don't know I've ever experienced the Spirit of God in that way, well, why don't Just take a risk. Come on up to one of these fine people and just ask them, would you pray for me I would encounter the Holy Spirit and see what happens? God bless. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.